so many readers are, are sort of particularly women in the sort of 30 plus bracket and it always seems such a shame that we're all sat around reading about younger people as if our own lives that we live now aren't valid I'm recording this early because I am off to New Orleans to visit my daughter. She left for college this year and luckily she picked a school in my absolute favorite city. So I'm treating myself to a birthday trip to spend time with her and eat all the beignets. That's why I think talking to today's guest, Joe Wild, hit a bit of a nerve for me. With the kid grown and out of the house, my partner and I suddenly have this empty nest and all that time that used to be filled with raising a kid, driving here and there, making sure they're fed, homework's done, are they sleeping enough, oh shit, they're sick, all of that, right? Now the house is quiet and it's just us picking the movies we're gonna watch. We're, we're, we were really horrible about sticking to date nights when she was growing up, so we're in this kind of weird get-to-know-you place together again. Um, but this time the foibles are maybe not quite as charming and a little bit more grating. Um, but that's not to say that it isn't fun. Um, but anyway, I was super stoked to talk to Joe because she writes about adults having adult relationships. Her book, Just the Two of Us, which sort of straddles women's fiction and contemporary contemporary romance, is about a married couple whose plans to split up are curtailed by COVID. So, you know, here we go, COVID. Um, stuck inside during a pandemic forces them to face each other for the first time. And it's about rekindling love in midlife. And I think that these topics aren't explored enough in the romance realm. So while Joe doesn't necessarily consider her book steamy, there is a lovely intimate moment between the characters as they reconcile. Falling in love is easy. Staying there is the hard part. That's why I love this conversation. And I think you will too. This episode is brought to you by The Groomsday Prophecy, which is my next book and kicks off my new Point Jude Small Town Romance series. Cleo and Ben are childhood BFFs who lost touch when Cleo disappeared from Point Jude, Jude before their sophomore year of high school after her mom died and her dad went to prison for fraud. Now she's back, a hotshot New York City journalist who's made a name for herself taking down powerful men like her father. But instead of misbehaving politicians and titans of industry, she is assigned to write an expose on Ben, Point Jude's very own runaway groom. Now, here's my interview with Joe Wild. Joe Wild is a British-based author who lives in the rolling hills of Derbyshire with her husband, Stuart, her dog, and her rapidly diminishing number of children. Having started with four, three have now flown the nest, leaving just one poor lad behind with his old parents. However, the new addition to the household is a motorhome or RV, affectionately known as Norman, in whom Joe and Stuart intend to travel Europe, Stuart shopping and cooking, and Joe writing. Perfect. And that does sound perfect. I'm going to join you. Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to come you join you and you and Stuart in Norman. God, that sounds a little. You, um, you would be more than welcome. Filthy. Thank you. Well, welcome to Steam, Steam Scenes, Joe. I'm super happy to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, okay. I mean, I don't even know where to get started. I kind of love that, like, there was this sort of like weird aside where you were like, oh, and by the way, I also write these historical romances uh, <laughs> <laughs> under this other name. And I was like, wait, what? What? And and I so I looked them up. 
And you write these like wonderful World War II romances with like thousands upon thousands of Amazon reviews. And I was like, who knew World War II romance what? I'm <laughs> talking about that a little bit. Um, can you? Are you cool with? Because I know it's under a pen name. I'm, I'm assuming you're not hiding them. Uh, no, 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 absolutely no. It's completely open. <laughs> okay, <right>. cool. <laughs> so, uh, so can you t- tell me a little bit about those? Um, so. Um, to be absolutely honest, I also write medieval historical fiction as yes. Joanna Courtney, um, which is sort of where I started. Um, actually, that's not true. Initially, I wrote a contemporary romance years and years ago, and that's who I secured my agent with. But we didn't actually sell that. And at the time, uh, historical fiction was doing better than contemporary fiction. And I said, oh, I've always wanted to do sort of medieval stuff. So uh, I did a lot of that. And then my editor there moved to a different publisher and she'd sort of come back to me on and off for years and we'd have a drink and she'd say have you thought about writing World War II and I'd say oh I don't think so lots of people write World War II and then she'd come back and say have you thought about writing World War II yet <laughs> and in, then in the end um, I sort of started investigating World War II a bit more and found some sort of I tend to write the stuff that's slightly off the side you know um, not not the usual stuff so my first one was the Berlin Zookeeper about obviously the zoo in the middle of Berlin and I like to to do things that are a little bit off center and yes I always have women at the center and there's always a bit of romance um because I think that's what holds books together for me anyway um so I've just started really enjoying it and um it's gone it's gone well readers seem to like them so that's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) I mean I'm kind of intrigued that you're moving from you know you started with contemporary that's how you got your your agent yeah. and then and then you kind of shelve that and then you moved into his into medieval and then to world two <laughs> like this is what what is going on here um do you have sort of like a background in his in history or um I did an English literature degree at Cambridge actually and um I specialized more in sort of medieval and Arthurian and all those sorts of things so um I, I think I always was quite interested in older literature and and in history around I did a history a level and I really enjoyed that it was all Tudors and Stuarts then but lots of people write about them so I've moved away from that um so yeah I've always loved history I've always been fascinated by the past and people I think it's just people isn't it people whatever era they live in and whatever they do um so I'm happy to write in any era Well, I just think that, you know, I absolutely love historical. I love medieval. The the research seems so daunting to me because I write contemporary because it's like, (laughs) and and I love research, like, don't get me wrong, but I feel like I would fall down that rabbit hole and never come out. There there is a danger, I have to say. There comes a point where you have to sort of take yourself to one side and say stop reading and start writing yeah exactly exactly I I mean the book that I'm working on right now I actually started it like oh my god forever ago and then kind of abandoned it and Mm -hmm. while I was in the start like while I was sort of first working on it I I have this um other fellow writer that I talk to every couple of weeks we go on walks together and talk on the phone and and I kept talking about all the research and she actually got angry with me and she was like like, stop researching. And this is a contemporary, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, just write the damn thing. Stop it. You're researching too much. And I was like, but I like the research. It's really fun. (laughs) It is really fun. I agree. And and to be honest, that's sort of where I get 
a lot of my ideas from, I think, is that, you know, when I go down rabbit holes, like you said, and I find people in particular, people and quirky little bits and pieces, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And the little just, you know, you read the mainstream stuff and then there's little side characters and little weird things that happen. And that's what always catches my imagination. And to be honest, that's sort of, yeah, where a lot of my my ideas come from and the same with contemporary you know if you're sort of researching like you say it doesn't have to be history does it things that are going on in different parts of the world or things in your own parts of the world that you haven't even sort of tapped into before and and they for me sort of spark things off and then then there's a book yeah yeah exactly exactly and I I just like digging into other people's lives I mean I guess that's why we write right like I just find other people's lives so fascinating um, my husband always like gets mad at me because at night, like if I'll go for a walk at night or whatever, I'll like look in people's windows. <laughs> Absolutely. That's and it, was, it was the best. And when I lived in New York, I would, in New York city, I would walk, wow. I would walk at night. I loved walking at night and I would usually go up park Avenue and I would like look up and like in the, or like Gramercy park was another great one where you could like look up and see, I love seeing how like other people lived in Gramercy park was wonderful. Cause that's like the age of innocence and Edith Horton. And like, it, uh, you yeah. know, that it was just such an imagine. Anyway, my husband was like, this is why I, I wanted blinds installed when we moved in and he put put blinds on every single window in our house and he was like and I was like oh come on we don't really need blinds and he was like oh yeah because people like you are out there walking around yeah but then you could be in a book and that would be cool I know I know I just I absolutely love it um but the book we're going to be talking about today um is just the two of us and it's a contemporary it is congratulations i I know amazing (laughs) so is this number two contemporary or is this this is number three contemporary i wrote um before i started writing world war ii fiction as anna stewart i actually wrote two contemporary novels one of which was called bonnie and stan that was also about a sort of older couple even older um than these um sort of in their 70s and uh, then i wrote one called four minutes to save a life um about a, about a supermarket delivery driver and uh, connections between people in neighborhoods so i wrote those two and then i sort of was seduced over to world war ii so uh, they're still out there um but uh, so this one it, it wasn't that much of a departure to to okay. do this and obviously when the pandemic came along and it was like we were living history that was I suppose a spark <laughs> so I want to hear about a little bit about the couple the older the 70 year old couple was this a romance uh, very much so yeah it's called Bonnie and Stan and it's about um a couple who it's, it's a bit sad um he finds out that he's been diagnosed with cancer and um that he's dying and he doesn't want to leave his wife alone so he comes up with this slightly crackpot idea to try and date men so that he can find a, a husband for um for when he's gone it's actually inspired by there was a beautiful letter by a writer in I think it was the New York Times actually um a, a female writer who wrote it was quite when yes. it was about three or four years ago it was really moving about a get a sort of ad for a, a another wife for a husband for when she'd 
gone um and it was yes. really sad and it was sort of inspired by that and to be honest it was partly done with the publisher was quite keen on the story idea and she wanted it with an older couple and so it's sort of all about that so it, it's multi-generational this family he's got a granddaughter who helps him and um and it, it uh, you know the scheme comes undone but they learn and it's interspersed that they met in um liverpool in the 1960s so there's a bit of beatles and a bit of um that's and the narrative uh, splits between the sort of 60s in Liverpool and, and the present day so a, a little bit of history snuck in <laughs> oh my god this sounds fabulous is it okay so is this under your name under Joe Wilde which name is this no under? it's under Anna Stewart <laughs> okay because <laughs> I'm looking this up because this sounds like this is my jam and I want to read this it will make <laughs> you cry I'm afraid <laughs> So okay, I'm I'm also fascinated that your pu- you say your publisher wanted this yeah. older couple, and uh, and we're, we're, we're just the two of us is also an older. I would I'm putting them in their maybe late fifties. Yeah, I'd yeah. say. Um, and so I'm sort of intrigued by this because romance is usually I I know there's mm-hmm. now category seasoned romance. Um, which makes us oh, sound that salted. That's yeah, yeah, that's right. We're salted. <laughs> You're well salted, yo. Well oh, salted, and um, and it kind it's very cringy. And but the what I was I freaking burst out laughing when somebody like I read a descriptor online somewhere of like what seasoned was thirty five and older. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> I know. I'm like I've been seasonedly pickled. <laughs> Like I've been seasoned for quite a long time. Um, what is going oh. on? Um, it's all so, right. Fifty is the new thirty. Where I, that's what everybody tells me. So I thought. I thought. Oh, the, the part of the reason why I was so excited to talk to you is because you were writing about this older mm. couple, Julie and Michael, and now I find out you wrote about Bonnie and Stan, who are seventy. And I absolutely love this because I was talking to my editor about writing an older couple, and she just yeah. kind of like smiled and like gritted her teeth and didn't really think that it was like a good idea yeah (laughs) and I love that you were encouraged so I'd love to like talk Mm. about this why do you why do you enjoy writing these older characters well I mean I guess I'm god forbid I turn 50 in two months time um which I intend to do with an outrageous party and a very short dress because why go old graciously when you don't have to (laughs) um (laughs) uh, um, and I don't feel any older you know and um I still feel about 22 I reckon if if not 18 and and I think everyone you talk to um male and female to be honest says much the same I I think your I don't know your essence of you gets formed in your 20s really and I know it doesn't really go away and you learn a lot more I guess and you go through a lot more shit but uh, you're still basically the same person and it it seems and also so many readers are, are sort of particularly women in the sort of 30 plus bracket and it always seems such a shame that we're all sat around reading about younger people as if our own lives that we live now aren't valid um so I wanted to address that a little bit um so did the publishers uh, so um I thought it would be in interesting I suppose to look at like you say what what constitutes I've been married nearly 22 years um I still fancy my husband it's not the same it's not that sort of breathless oh my god I'm gonna have to get you home and rip your clothes off thing um but there are other nice aspects of it um 
And so I guess for Julie and Michael, it was a, an interest in the fact that they'd lost any spark. And I suppose partly because just writing about someone who's plodding along perfectly contentedly isn't particularly satisfying for a reader, is it? So looking at people that have got to that point in their marriage where things have gone wrong yeah. was interesting. And, and it's always interesting, isn't it? Why? Do, I mean, yeah. everyone that gets married these days, at least, does it because they believe they're in love and they're with the person they want to be with forevermore. And many relationships do break down. And so I suppose it intrigued me what goes wrong and what happens if you, how do you get it back? How do you recapture yeah. the spark? Everyone talks yes. about a spark, don't they? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. How do you yeah. do that? How do you get the spark back? So I yeah. guess that's sort of where um, where we came in to just the two of us. Yeah, when I heard when when I got the description and I was just like, oh, oh this is the story that I've always kind of wanted to write. Um, <laughs> you know, the married couple who lost the fizz. Um, you know, the, yeah. you know, I like the fizz, the bubbles. You know, and and because you know, okay, like the blush of first love, like that's fun, right? And oh, that's yeah. almost easy because it's so like there's so much going on there and that falling in love and it's heightened drama. But it's the work is the staying together part, right? Like, right. That's the hard part, actually. The falling in love bit is pretty easy. Yeah, because it's just well, you're falling, aren't you? And and that's easy. Whereas I guess the rest of it, you're kind of climbing. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> and there is a lot of like fighting. You know, even if even if the relationship doesn't, you know, break up, there is a lot of like, you know, there there are those times where you're fighting to keep the marriage together, keep mm. the relationship together, because shit gets really hard. Absolutely, especially when you've got kids and stuff, and uh, and you don't. My husband always made me, even when the kids were small, we always he insisted that we went away one weekend a year. And I can remember those bits when, like, you're building up and the kids were little, and I was like, a few days before, I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. It's too much effort. It's too much stress. I was leaving them with my parents. You know, it was fine. Um, and then the you get away, you know, and you, you're a bit away an hour and you open the first bottle of wine and you're like, yay, I remember this. This is really good. <laughs> Still remember have a relationship. <laughs> remember when we used to do this thing? Because it's so easy to fall into a, in a long-term relationship. Like you kind of fall into, I, you know, I mean, it's like you have patterns and you are comfortable and you kind of do mm. this thing and it's no longer exciting mm. and that's okay. But how do you keep that? How do you how do you how do you continue to keep that sort of romance alive? And I think that that's a, a valid question. And I think it's a lot of you know relationships struggle with finding that answer. Yeah, absolutely, and um, especially in the bedroom, especially keeping things sexy and how you. And I think sometimes think that's quite hard for women in particular, because I think we like the emotion, don't we? We like the thrill. We like the romance. We like like the, uh, you know, the buzz of the sort of someone new touching you. Um, uh, blokes, maybe. I don't want to underestimate blokes. They're wonderful, but they're perhaps slightly more physically driven um, and get more satisfaction just from that purity of the act. Um, but I like bit of build up a bit of thrill and obviously when you've been with someone day in day out and you've washed their pants and you know all of that yeah. it's uh it's not quite the same is it so I guess you have to find find different ways of uh still keeping things alive and uh that's certainly what Julie and Michael have 
fails to do in the novel. Um, it's so easy just to get distracted by all the other stuff, isn't it? And the kids and the friends and the work yeah. and the hobbies and all of that. And um, this and the sort of little things that sort of great that turn <laughs> yeah. they like that start so small and then they turn into the thing that broke the marriage apart, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read this article on, I think it was like medium or something and it was really great. And it was sort of like how, you know, how my marriage imploded and, and it was, and it, you know, it was, it wasn't cheating. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, deception. It wasn't anything major. It was that he never put a glass, his glass, his drinking glass in the dishwasher. dishwasher, right? <laughs> and it was like, and it was, it was actually a surprisingly good piece that, um, that was, you know, it was that like one act of, uh, of disrespect of his spouse's mm. time, um, you know, that, that he didn't understand that it was that one dish that he never put, a, you know, never put in the dishwasher that, you know, potentially could have saved the marriage because he was just so, yeah, it was really wonderful. And I, and I just kind of kept thinking about that. And I was like, you know, it really is. It's really the, the, the sock that doesn't quite make it to the hamper or, you know, those sort of things. It's like, it's, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, really. And conversely, I've got a friend who, again, in lockdown, because obviously we were all stuck in the home, and she told her husband, they, the cleaner obviously couldn't come, and she told her husband his one job was to clean the bathrooms. And um, she said she, she, I don't know, came upstairs one afternoon, and there he was cleaning the toilet. And she said, so I just looked at him and said, oh, oh, I really fancy you. And he turned around and went, what? And she's like, you're doing, you're doing that for me. And he was like, if I'd realised, I'd have cleaned the toilet sooner. <laughs> But it is a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit like it I don't really know. is. It really is. Oh my god, this is the second podcast in a row. I'm going to reference this. I did a TikTok. I'm on TikTok barely, but I did this video of like Jason Moma all like lifting his like him and his like muscular body coming out of the water, and then flashed it to my dear husband. Video of him vacuuming, and I was like, <laughs> "What people think is sexy, what actually is sexy?" And we go. <laughs> So, you know, any men who are listening, do some <laughs> freaking housework, you'll get more sex. It's absolutely true. If only they realized. <laughs> I know. If only they realized how often we'd be like, yeah, baby, get in the bed. Like, you know, like that's, that's sexy. <laughs> like, help me with the housework. I love you forever. You know. <laughs> it's the same as that thing, you know, with teenage lads when they think that girls will fancy them if they do wheelies past on their bike. Whereas if they just got off their bike and came and talked to them, they'd be much more attracted. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like we kind of like jumped over all this sort of like getting to know you questions and we like went straight to the date, you know. <laughs> but you you studied writing in, in university. So I'm guessing you always wanted to write. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right from when I was really little. Well, I love to read. First of all, I guess my mum says when I was a little girl, she could leave me in my cot for ages if I had books with me you know picture books obviously but uh, I've just books something about books I've just always always loved books and I always had my head in a book as a as a kid and in fact I wrote a sort of an Enid Blyton style boarding school book when I was about 10 I think um, yeah I mean it, it got put in the attic um, and I tried to find it recently but it's it's all it's gone sadly because I would love to read that God knows what it was <laughs> just a bit of parody of Enid Blyton basically um and uh, and then yeah I just sort of stuck with it all along but I didn't actually really start writing properly until I'd had my kids and I was at home and mistakenly thought I'd have loads of time that was funny um 
<laughs> found out I didn't. So I wrote short stories for a while. And then as they got older and I had a bit more, a bit more time and an obliging mother to look after them one day a week, then, um, then I started sort of getting stuck into a bit of novel writing and just okay. bit by bit by bit, I've sort of built it up. Okay. And were you always sort of like leaning towards the romance genre? Because you do have, I mean, so so much of your work has, like, it. I don't know, is it, do you consider what you do romance because it sort of has romantic elements or... Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a member of the Romantic Novelist Association over okay. here. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I firmly believe that yeah relationships and love and all of that sort of thing are at, at the heart of what we do um and and one of the joys when you're writing historical fiction particularly when I write the medieval fiction is that sort of get two people in bed naked together it doesn't really matter that it's 1066 or it's 2022 you know that they're yeah. gonna have to find their way to each each other and people do and I think we get very hung up and obviously social norms were very different and when people would be permitted to or not although I think there's been plenty of evidence throughout history of people finding their way to each other whatever society thinks Mm -hmm. but once you know once people are married and they're together for years and especially god he didn't have telly etc he had a lot of time in in bed and I figure most couples would have worked a few things out um whatever society told them they were or weren't meant to do um particularly if they get on even if they're not in love in the sense that we would now have it in sort of modern day but uh, together and with each other and spending a lot of time together they'll they'll figure out ways to to enjoy each other shall we say um, <laughs> and I like that uh, and so I think that's and it's an important I was going to say touching point that's a bit of a pun isn't it but oh yeah but that's a fun pun yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it's um and you know men and women like to like to fall in love, like to be in love, like relationships, um, whoever they're with. Uh, and that's therefore a very human thing. And, and so it under, yeah, it underpins pretty much everything I write. Okay. Okay. That's, that's awesome. Were you a romance reader? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Do you remember your first? Yes. <sighs> so I was thinking about that. Um, I, the, what I do remember when I was a teenager, I was absolutely glued to the Sweet Valley High series. <gasps> me too. Oh my God, I loved we're, them. We're the same vintage, so yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and obviously, I'm, I'm obviously I was in England, and um, but they all they were they were big over here, and they were obviously set in America. So that was kind of an added fascination for me. The sizes always confused me because they were these size six girls, and I was like in Britain that would be 10 so I, I thought they were these tiny skin skin skinny people I mean they are quite skinny but, they are uh, yeah size it, six uh, is still skinny <laughs> still skinny yeah but not as skinny as it is over here um but uh, but that so that was all a fascination but just loved it and we had this wonderful holiday I've got two I've got a sister and a brother this wonderful holiday away where my brother who must have been about 12 or 13 he was bored and uh, he read one of my sweet valley highs so i've got this wonderful picture of him he was quite a poser my brother a wonderful picture of sunbathing but reading this sweet valley high novel and uh, it was it was lovely lovely oh, moment that's wonderful that's <laughs> and he enjoyed it he did okay <laughs> Didn't read them at home because that wouldn't be cool. But on holiday, you can do it. On holiday when nobody's looking, you can totally do it. Did you get through the whole series? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. See, I wasn't allowed to have them. 
Oh, so I, I used, <laughs> yeah. So I used to have to like sneak off to the bookstore and sort of like sit in the aisles because this huh? was like, you know, this was like before Barnes and Noble made it like made it like you could like with the couches and the comfy chairs where you could just sit there and read books without yeah. even buying them, you know. So I would have to like sit on the floor in the aisle, like tucked into like a little corner <laughs> in our tiny little bookstore near my house, and and sort of read the Sweet Valley. So I don't even know that I. I have read any of them cover to cover because I wasn't allowed to have them. Yeah, (laughs) I know, but I loved them. But yeah, I was, I was told that's not real literature and that's not going to be in our house. Meanwhile, you know, it turns out my mom is like borrowing her mother's like weird romance novels and all this other (laughs) shit. (laughs) Why, why do people do, why is there so much snobbery about what you should or shouldn't read? It's like, if, you know, if kids are reading, that's brilliant. Just let them read whatever the hell they want. Exactly. <laughs> as long as they're reading. Exactly. Who cares as long as they're reading and they're enjoying it, you know? And I think that's where sort of like, you know, Harry Potter and then Twilight yeah. and, and, and Fifty Shades. Like, I feel like those were sort of, and it's so funny because they're all very different kind of age groups, you know, yes. where you've got for like the, the young kids and middle grade and then you've got that sort of like teen young adult and then you move into you know obviously 21 you know or 18 plus you know those books did love them or hate them like doesn't matter what you think of them in terms of you know what is good you know because that's all subjective anyway they did a lot for promoting literacy absolutely there were hundreds of people who were and everyone got so snobby about how they were written and okay they're not the best written books but people devoured them so I mean who's laughing I wish I'd written them (laughs) I know I'm always like I wish I wrote Twilight like You know, I don't care that the vampire is like a, you know, stalker or weirdo. Like, no. <laughs> but it always like, because, you know, I can't say you can, I get sort of like a little, like you can never say a book that has so many readers is a bad book because it's oh. clearly resonating with people. And when it's resonating with readers like that, it, there's no way it's a bad book. It's just impossible. Might Absolutely. not be your style, but there's no way it's a bad book. No, totally agree. Um, yeah. They're great. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. not? <laughs> um, so what you had, you, when, when we were emailing back and forth about you joining, I know that you were a little like uh, skeptical. You were like, oh, I don't, I don't really write sexy scenes. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is really about writing intimacy and sometimes um like I had said to you the best the the most insightful conversations that I've had on this podcast are actually with authors who don't open the door um and and maybe they have one chase kiss at the end of their um at their book because I actually think it's very difficult it's probably more difficult to write intimacy when you have those sort of constraints rather than, you know, cause mm-hmm. I mean, how do you show it, it doesn't get much more intimate than taking off your clothes and being in bed with somebody. Right. right. Like that is sort of the epitome of intimacy. So how do you write that when that's oh, not where right. the characters are going to go on the, you know, on the page? Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? It I, is. It's it is. Uh, scary, but I mean, <laughs> I always figure the real intimacy for me anyway, um, comes from 
the build-up, doesn't it? it it's mm. uh, it's the the tension, it's the sexual tension between them, and it's the it's the sort of all the simmering and the the things that go wrong and the nearly kisses and that. So that by the time you actually get to putting them into bed or into wherever, um, then you know you're already invested in it and you're already sort of wanting it to happen. And and that's what, as a reader at least, that's what makes it sexy because you're sort of gagging for it yourself if you know what I mean yeah <laughs> sorry it's probably a British expression <laughs> so did for you will you ever write open door or like more erotic or that are you that's just not what you want to do I have um so the only real sex in just the two of us does get the you know they it gets a tiny bit but I haven't gone for the full-on sex scene but I've done more intimate stuff in Actually, one of my medieval books, they have quite a passionate relationship and I've taken them into bed, but not in so much anatomical detail. Um, And I've not yet done that, though I think my husband would probably like me to. Um, (laughs) Really? Oh, Oh, he'd be very keen if I wrote erotic fiction, I'm sure. Um, Really? Okay, okay, this might be... You can tell me to shut up. It's totally fine. This might be TMI. No worries. But I'm curious, why would he... Oh, I think that would just turn him on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it! (laughs) My husband could give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, He's just like, go write your books and make some money. Go, go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My husband does read all my books, to be fair. And yeah, I think he'd enjoy it if they were uh, um, sexier than they are. Though, um, bless him. He likes them. He's not a mega reader, but he does read my books for me. Um, And uh, he's one of the first people to read them, actually. Um, So, uh, which is interesting if we're, you know, reading in bed and I'm twitching, looking over, going, oh, he laughs. If if I'm lucky, he laughs. And I'm like, oh, which bit are you at? Which bit are you at? (laughs) I was going to say, does he give you feedback? A bit, yeah. So he's not especially literary or anything, but he gives me that... You know, that really valuable feedback of sort of, oh, I got a bit bored in this bit or I lost, I wasn't sure what was going on here. Just real nuts and bolts sort yeah. of um, pace in particular. I think it's easy for people to pick pace. You know, you can always tell yourself, can't you, if you start flicking or reading faster that probably you've lost interest slightly. So he'll tell me yeah. those sorts of bits and I know to tighten them up. Um, so he's he's not my, um, my editors are, are great, but he does give me some indication as to whether I'm on the right lines or not before I before I send it out. Um, and yeah, I think if I was writing full-on hardcore pornography, he'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I, I know my husband does not read my books anymore. When I was writing urban fantasy, he would read them, but he, would, right. he just will not read romance, which is so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, does yeah, he watch romantic fine. stuff with you on telly? No, not really. Mm. Not really. We'll watch, like, we'll watch more, um, you know, like, he's really into anime and, you know, so oh, okay. he does that on his own because I'm just, yeah, I can't, quite. Yeah, I'm, it's just <laughs> not my thing. Um, and, and, you know, he'll, he'll leave it to me. Like, have, do you have Yellowstone over there? Mm, doesn't the, ring the a bell. The series Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. That oh. one has been sort of like you know kind of 
it's kind of a romance, but it's kind of more like Succession, but on a ranch. Right. Like, but he won't even watch that with me, but he will watch Succession. You know, so it just, it kind of depends. But no, he's, yeah. he, you know, I can't say that he like will watch like, you know, a, a rom-com with me and sort of be okay with it. He usually like leaves me on the couch. <laughs> Fair enough. I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, which kind of sucks sometimes, but you know, whatever. That's just not his thing. Yeah, you got to yeah. do things differently, separately, exactly. and then, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you remain interesting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, so that's kind of like Julie and Michael, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but not too separate, because that's what happens to them, isn't it? They start doing everything separately, and uh, and then I guess that's sort of a problem too, particularly if you're never going to bed at the same time. That's definitely a problem. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, which is actually us. He gets up like way earlier than I would. Maybe like, yeah, well, way, way earlier. He has to get up really early. So it's like, you know, usually he's in bed and I'm like, I'm going to watch TV. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for you, like, mm-hmm. what, what do you think makes that sort of like your, like those intimate moments? Like, what is it that you're looking for when you're drafting it or trying to achieve? I think... Like I say, for me, I, I never sit down and think, right, I'm going to write the sex scene now. I always sort of, they kind of, I'm writing, I mean, obviously I know it's on the horizon, hopefully, but I, I write the chapter in which, and, and occasionally it takes me by surprise. Occasionally they sort of jump each other sooner than I'm expecting them to, or, oh. or the reverse, you know. But I, so, so I know, I mean, so I will, I I let it happen when I'm writing, when it feels natural for the characters to um sort of start making a move on each other as it were um or one of them to make a move on the other one or um whatever so um I try for me it's it's very much part of the overall storyline as opposed to right now we're gonna do sex um and uh and so I guess and like I say for me a lot of it's in the build-up when I'm reading it or when I'm writing it so you I think you know you've written a good intimate scene if you feel a little bit a little bit turned on yourself (laughs) yeah I mean I think that's a really good point (laughs) and if you're not you've probably done something wrong I'm not saying you know it has to send you into a raging fury but I think a little tingle definitely makes you feel that you must have must have done something right um so and for me yeah I think that's because I've been sort of writing with the characters and um, I don't write my sex. I don't write the sort of books where that comes. They, they probably come relatively far into the narrative. You know, you've had a bit of toing and froing um, beforehand. So I'm already fully into like the characters and and before we before we get there and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm there with them, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't write them in huge detail. But I definitely uh, enjoy having some sexual element in my novels yeah yeah and you know I sort of you know it was funny when you sent me this and you know you were like oh no wait there's a bit at the end they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh they do have sex they do have a little like there's a little bit and I was like okay but actually when I was reading through the chapter that you sent I was like you know what there there's so much here that is that was so compelling to me um oh, you know way you. before we got to that bit um you know so actually you know now would probably be a fun time to sort of like get into it but I'm kind of curious um could you like could you set this up for us so that we know where we're where we're headed um, so um basically in the novel um 
Julie and Michael there. Shall I? I'll tell you a bit of roughly where we get to. Obviously, it's the end of the novel, so it's going to give things away slightly. But I don't think uh, oh, we are all that much of a secret what's <laughs> no. going on. Uh, so, so basically, their their marriage is sort of hitting the rocks when the pandemic hits and they get stuck in the house together. And bit by bit, they have to start spending a bit more time together. And at first, that grates, and then they sort of start to vaguely remember what's been nice about each other and a bit more humour and a bit more. And mainly, they start to understand bits where their relationship's gone wrong in the past where they've kind of misunderstood each other and I think Mm. that's a classic Um, so they've misunderstood each other and they get together and basically Michael does something nice for Julie because they've they've had this when they were young they had this motorbike that they went away on together and when he was when she was first attracted to him he had a motorbike and she thought he was quite cool on that and and I guess they've moved away from him being cool and she stopped going on the motorbike when they had children and so it's Mm. been something he's done by himself and they always said they'd go to Greece and so they never made it because of complications of life so he sets it up and he basically it's a slightly ridiculous scene in which he has his motorbike in the garage and he sets up a screen and he sort of invites her to come in and sit on the motorbike with him and he plays Greece on the screen as if as if they're actually riding through Greece obviously this being the pandemic they're not even allowed out on the road so that's sort of slightly why he does it in the garage there is a sort of context there but um, I guess the idea was that he is trying to recapture that feel of what it was like when they used to sit on the bike together with it throbbing between them and uh, and recapture some of that magic you know I I really love this because I was like you know if I was in that situation um that whole setup I thought was genius um because I was like how could I not fall in love with that right because it's sort of like bringing back those sort of like moments where you know what we were talking about earlier like that blush of first love the initial spark and how it's exciting it is when you're falling in love and so to sort of bring back that memory I imagine would be like quite an extraordinary thing for you know a couple that sort of haven't had that in 30 years right yeah hopefully that's that's how it works anyway because it's a novel (laughs) (laughs) okay I'm going to read this little bit first bit um, I, I'm trying to sort of see where I where I am from in this chapter, and it's just sort of um, this uh, wonderful. Like he went to he's he's see, he did all this planning, which I thought was great. You know, yeah. he went to the grocery store, and I guess they he like made some dinner, or like or so, some sort of yeah. snacks for them. And it was like you know he went during the old people hour, which I. I was dying. They're so great. Like I love, you know, I never thought I'd be like, oh my God, this is, I'm enjoying a pandemic story, but here I am enjoying a pandemic story. And they let him in and they're not like mad about it. And he's like, I wanted to scream. I'm not even 60 yet, you know, <laughs> but, but he just shuffled in with his sore back and joined the el- other, the other elderly shoppers. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, oh, the poor guy, you know, and it, it was the, like just the whole setup. So, you know, and then he's go and he's he's like, I'm going to be in the garage. I'll be there for about, you know, come come join me in 10 minutes and bring your your jacket. And she's like my leather jacket, like the one I used to wear on the bike. And he's like that one. So that's sort of where we are. <clears throat> Julie watched Michael hastening up the garden, marveling at the changes in him the last these last weeks 
or perhaps the changes between the two of them. She'd so feared being locked down with him when the PM had made his initial announcement, but stuck in here together, they'd started chatting more naturally than they had in years, sharing memories, laughing even. She remembered the strange rush of intimacy when she'd had to help him off the, off the floor and the joy of standing shoulder to shoulder at the window watching the lambs leap. She remembered him taking her in his arms to dance the crazy Zumba waltz and placing his hand over hers as they'd anticipated Sophie's announcement. The happiness they'd been able to share shot through her anew and she swallowed. She didn't want to break up her family. That was perhaps what had been stopping her doing anything for so long. But there was more to it now. It wasn't about the kids now. It was about Michael. If he'd looked at her so intently up in the loft between the sparkles of their silver wedding decoration, oh, I'm sorry, he'd looked at her so intently up in the loft between the, between the sparkles of their silver wedding and decorations, she'd thought for a moment he was going to kiss her. Would she have kissed him back? Her body was certainly responding to him in long forgotten ways. If someone had asked her when she'd stood in that shiny divorce lawyer's office what color her soon-to-be ex-husband's eyes were, She'd have said black, but light was back in him somehow, and they were shining as blue as they had the first time, the very first time she had seen him. It was enticing. It was enticing. <sighs> oh my god! I loved that that moment. Wow. Like um, this bit was so, you know, it was what are we two paragraphs, and that was so much about like, I just wrote like this is a marriage, and this is a long marriage, and. And so much history there and that sort of, and memory and feelings. And it was just all encompassed in like these two paragraphs. And then to sort of touch on like the divorce lawyer and like if she had been asked what color is I, she would have said black. <laughs> like that's a lot of anger, right? Right. <laughs> that she had to release and that they had to sort of work through to get to this point. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess... Also, the idea, I think that was the bit in there, the bit for me was the idea that she thought she was staying with him for everyone else. And now she's realized that actually it's as much about him as it is about all of them. Um, And I guess that's sort of, that's the point, isn't it? You've got to want to be with each other as well as all all the other stuff that can make it both easier and harder. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because when you see sort of like, you know, I'm I'm at the age where, you know, the kid's leaving and, mm. you know, and it's like, it's going to be just us. And, you know, as I'm looking forward to that. And I, and I feel like mm. this couple, you know, I feel like they didn't, you know, for whatever reason. And that, and that sort of, that like hurts my heart, right? Like, yeah, you know, and it's not, and I think ultimately like, they did because love won, right? But to yeah. think, I can't imagine as much as I'm going to miss my daughter, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I can't imagine not looking forward to having the time to ourselves again. Yes, absolutely. If, you know, if we're not going to do much more than sit on the couch and watch bad TV and drink wine. Without <laughs> <laughs> having to go and pick someone up, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Or without having to worry, like, wait, when is she getting home? Is she yeah, home? absolutely. You know, oh my god, I got to get all the dirty dishes out of the bedroom. Like, you know, like, like all of those things that sort yes. of, you know, that sort of happen with life and the idea of like having 
not necessarily as carefree as we were in our 20s um, because we still have very grown up responsibilities that I think we didn't quite have in our 20s that we have mm. now. But um, but just a little sense of like, this is now just for us again. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. But I mean, it's not it's not uncommon and it's a sad state that the old empty nest syndrome and everything that a lot of people slightly fear um, their children leaving and whether they're still going to have things to say to each other. Um, and and that's that's a shame, really, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. if you've done all that hard bit, you, it's great to get to the uh, the good bit where, like you say, you're there for each other again and all the, some of the other responsibilities drop away a little and you can be I guess a bit more self-indulgent a bit more like you were in your 20s well, yeah, <laughs> live life exactly. for the fun of it <laughs> exactly <laughs> so. bring it on <laughs> I know. you know and so yeah I'm, I'm like and so yeah when I was like reading that that's not there that's that wasn't like sort of where they were going but now that's where they're heading I don't know I really loved it I was just like oh, oh my thank god you. this is so speaking to me and again that black eyes thing just like hit me right in the gut like, I was like, <laughs> oh, that's amazing okay moving down just another paragraph or two <clears throat> all right so now she's she's heading to the um she's got her biker jacket um bless her heart she can still fit in it um, and <laughs> yeah. she's, she's and she's going off to um to the garage she put her hand to the handle pushed the door open and stepped inside the sight that met her was was astonishing the main lights were off but two desk lamps shone down onto gertie which is the bike, the bike making yeah. her glow gloriously red in the middle of the darkened room michael was astride her helmet on and in front of him covering the big garage door was a white sheet onto which he had projected the image of a sun-drenched road. It stretched out in front of the bike, wide and open between the craggy scrubland and leading to a tantalizing glimmer of sea on the horizon. She put her hands to her mouth, unable to believe it. I can't take you back through the years, I'm afraid, Michael said, but maybe I can take you somewhere nice right now. Will you come? It's quite safe. We're not actually going anywhere, and I've got all the windows open for ventilation. He looked so sweetly nervous. Oh, my God. She swallowed. I'd love to. Oh, good. He lifted her helmet up off the side and held it out to her. It glinted with a new shine and with older memories. Where did you get that? I've kept it in the cupboard just in case one day, not to pressurize you, just that, well, I never liked riding with anyone as much as you, Julie. What about Rob? Rob's a smelly old biker who goes too fast and picks terrible places for lunch. Julie laughed. She stepped forward and took the helmet, instinctively tucking her hair behind her ears before she slid on it. it slid it on. She looked at Michael through the visor, seeing him framed in front of her as if he, as as he'd been framed so many times since that first amazing meeting in Budapest. Okay, he asked, his eyes shining with care. Okay, then please. He patted the seat behind him and heart pounding louder than ever. Julie stepped up and hooked her leg over the back. She sank into the seat and the leather gave a tiny happy sigh as if Gertie had been waiting just for this. The curve of it pushed her towards Michael and she felt the achingly familiar press of his back against her body and dared to sneak her arms around his waist. His hands closed over hers for a moment, squeezed, and then in a single fluid moment, movement, he grabbed the throttle and kicked the bike into life. The engine roared and the sound echoed around the garage and filled Julie with the perfect reverberations of easy happiness. She looked at the screen in front of her and to her astonishment, it started to play. Michael must have a remote 
control in his hand, she thought, but then she didn't care how he was doing it because the road was rolling under them as if they were traveling along it. And as they headed towards the horizon, the sea grew closer. Michael gently revved the engine and tipped the bike just a little as the road rose up and over the ridge of the hill. And suddenly before them was the curve of a beach. And along it, dotted the hillside, a cluster of beautiful white buildings. Greece, she gasped. Oh, Michael, it's Greece at last. The video paused with glorious vista laid out before them, and Michael quietly killed the engine. For a short time, they just sat there, Julie drinking in the sight, and far more wonderful than that, the effort that Michael, her husband, had made to bring it to her. Locked down in a garage in suburbia at what had felt like the back end of their once golden marriage, he had somehow transported her to the place of her dreams. Oh, my God. Beautifully read. Oh, beautifully written. I just was like, I thought that, like this was that sort of like, I mean, I, you know, she had clearly been falling for him through the, through the course of the book. And I know that we're at the end bit, but this feels like the moment that sort of sealed it, that this marriage was meant to be, they were meant to be together. And I thought that that was so gorgeous. And there was like, I don't know. I don't know. It was just, it was just so beautifully done. And, and sort of, and I loved, it was a bit of a callback to, it was, it was, it was not a bit, it was a callback to the thing that they shared when they were younger, when they were having those heady falling moments. And, and the fact that it was recaptured, but obviously in a myriad of different ways, because they're not actually in Greece and they're not actually rolling on the motorbike and they're not, you know what I mean? It's like all of these things that, that they can't quite do to make it the same, but it's never going to be the same, right? Like, because it is different and it needs to be different. That moment needs to be different. Yes. Yes. You can't, you can't go back, but you can, can go forward. And if you've got to look back first, then uh, I guess that's sort of, what it takes isn't it um and I guess we all need triggers don't we to remind ourselves of when things were good if uh, if we're feeling a bit like it's a rough patch um and I guess yeah I get one of my ideas behind that was that he really he hasn't just tried to do he hasn't just bought her flowers or you know um tried to cook her dinner he's, he's thought about something that really means something to the two of them and I guess that's real romance, isn't it? Is knowing yes. the person and tapping into what what will make them happy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought I I just was swept away by this. I have a question about like the and you can not answer it because I don't <laughs> want to be spoilery on the you know with the book. We want everybody to read it because it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but we're with with Michael. Was he the first, like, was he taken by surprise? Or, you know, well, she hasn't served him the, the papers, correct? Like, she has the papers, but now they're in lockdown and she's like, I'm not going to give him the papers. Or has she given him the papers? No, she doesn't give him the papers. She doesn't give him the papers. Does he know how off course they are? No, I don't a- think so. Okay. Uh, no, I think it's a bit of a classic male head in the sand thing. I think she's been, yeah, getting worked up as uh, as time goes on. And, um, He's done that sort of plodding along, thinking everything's okay because they've got the kids, because they've got jobs, they've got more money now than they used to. That they're, they're just, you know, getting on with life. He hasn't really thought about it, but I think um, once she kind of, you know, enlightens him that she's not feeling great, he registers that 
he isn't either. And obviously, pandemic, you know, not much to do. He's got more time to think as well. So I, right. I think um, he he does fully register that things are not right, but yeah. he's been slower to it, shall we say, than, yeah. than she has. Yeah. Well, I mean, life gets in the way, right? Like you mm. kind of, because it's like you are kind of plodding along with everything, right? Like that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, 20 years have gone by and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, what just happened? <laughs> you know, and am I, yeah. and you, and you change and you evolve, you know, people change all the time. And you kind of sometimes wonder, did, did this other person evolve with me? Yeah. That's the scary bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you get so obsessed with being sure that, especially once you've got dependence with being sure that everyone's provided for and that you've got money and, you know, food on the table and, holidays that are halfway decent and you know these sort of things become a bigger focus than than they probably ought to be but if you don't if you're not doing them then life is impossible isn't it um so it's sometimes hard to see past them a bit yeah yeah you know it's interesting we never were able to like really afford to go on like big holidays until like a a few times with 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 my daughter and Mm. And so it was, you know, but I kind of feel like that she's, it was almost more important that she saw, saw our marriage intact because it's like, what is the number one reason for divorce is like financing, financial issues. Right. I guess. Yeah. And knowing that the trips could have strained our finances, um, to the point where it would have been like a little uncomfortable. I was just like I you know it just wasn't worth the risk to me because I think that that could have that is the thing that could have sent us spiraling you know yeah. like I definitely thought it, it was Kid, kids don't need posh holidays anyway we went camping yeah. a lot with ours um, yes yes that's what we can do you go camping you exactly they loved it, they loved it. <laughs> exactly exactly because yeah because you know because that, that that was always in the back of my mind it was like oh my god the money and and you know she just I think would rather see a solid relationship between her, her mom and dad. Well, and time. Like, if you go camping, you spend a lot of time with them, don't you? So that's actually what kids really yeah. want, I think. Yeah, they want the time. Exactly. Although Disney was fun. But yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I want to, I almost felt like I didn't, I was like, oh, do I need to even, like, when I, when I was reading it, I was like, I don't even know if I need to with the scheme, like, the, the schemey, schemey bits, because the stuff is so beautifully intimate without it. Oh. Like, these sections, you know, like, there's so much there that, that just, you know, with their history and the fact that, you know, he really wants to make this work, and he's trying so, so hard. But I do want to read the steamy bit, because okay. you, you were like, I have a steamy bit! <laughs> Vaguely. <laughs> Steamy-ish. <laughs> um, and, and through this, this is so sweet too. So through this, the 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 the, the heating guy comes and fixes yeah. the heat for them. And so he kind of interrupts there. Like they have this like impromptu little date night, which was so cute with like a glass of wine and, you know, grape leaves. Yeah. And <laughs> which he thought about and that's what sent him to the market. And they, and they sort of have that kind of come to Jesus conversation and then get interrupted, which was great. And now they've just sort of kicked poor John out. Who has no idea what he interrupted. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, um, back in action, eh, she murmured. And then his lips were on hers and he was pulling her against him, his hands running over her body as if he could never get enough. 
jewels he said against her lips my jewels her own name reverberated through her and she tugged at his sweater wanting more of him wanting all of him he pulled back to let her yank it up over his head and then his hands were on the buttons of her shirt undoing them one at a time she moaned and impatiently he ripped at the last couple and threw the garment aside i want you julie she ran her hands downwards and felt him hard beneath her touch i want you too she gasped she undid his belt and pushed his trousers down as he released hers in turn. Stumbling a little, they kicked them off, and she pressed herself against him, loving the feel of his skin on hers, his hands running down her back and over her bum, pulling her even closer, but not yet close enough. Bed, she begged. Too far, he groaned, pulling her instead into the living room. And as he pushed her down onto the sunflower-covered sofa and lowered his mouth to hers, the tangles of the past few years faded away and nothing seemed to matter anymore but the glorious here and now. <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, that was such a beautiful moment, too, I, you know, that they finally get, that, get to that happily ever after. Um, then that they had that realization and that they were able to sort of, and again, like it, it did almost feel like that frantic rush, right? Mm. That sort of frantic rush of like, you know, first time. Gotta have you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they, I guess they've been so obsessed with whether they've got a future and done a lot of, in the novel, there's a lot of sort of delving into the past and what went wrong that I guess mm. one of the joys of being, things being right is that you don't have to worry about it like you're in the in you're in the here and now that you're just right it's all good now let's go with it yeah yeah and it, it was it, it was it was sweet but it was also really beautiful and really true and that I think was really what sort of gripped me with everything in this chapter is that that it was like it was just really really true and I think that um you know, I think that it's almost aspirational, I think, especially for some of us who have are, are in these longer relationships and maybe are feeling a bit neglected, right? Mm-hmm. And and that idea of sort of, you know, being able to sort of think about it and say, okay, how can, you know, for, for there was, I think there was a god-awful TV show or, or maybe it was like a new, no, I think it was a magazine. Oh, no, it was in Good Housekeeping magazine. It was a section called Can This Marriage Be Saved? And- oh, God. <laughs> You know, and and, and readers would write in and a a therapist would sort of like Um, weigh in on whether or not the marriage could be saved. But, you know, that if you are sort of wondering that, right, I just I don't know. I just love these stories about more mature couples. And I just absolutely think that it's fantastic and so unique and wonderful that you actually, you know, tackled a long term relationship that was falling apart and how and how you put it back together. Yes. I enjoyed writing it. It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. In fact, it was written, I wrote it in um, from conception to final edit six weeks. No. Yeah, because it was a pandemic novel. I, I was with uh, my publisher um, and we, she worked, the editor, it was partially her idea and we worked together on it. And we wanted obviously to get it out in this country um, the theory was that we would get it out, you know, whilst everyone was in the midst of it. We didn't quite quite do that, but as it turns out, it went on for years. So, um, so it yeah. did do that. But yeah, no, the 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 whole thing was done in um, in six weeks. That's amazing. So I think partly that it just, I just it just had to be done 
like in a very intense way. So um, the sort of claustrophobia almost of of the novel is was mimicked by the sort of <laughs> I, was, I was writing it locked down um with an assortment of children and a husband and everything so I was just shut away in my room writing which was nice um and, well and uh, your, your lockdown in Britain was I think more extreme than ours here in the U.S. even though we whinged about a you know probably like, like a bunch of Ch- you know sort of like children three-year-olds throwing tantrums about about our lockdown but I think yours was more severe I mean I remember a friend of mine her, her parents are in Scotland and she was like they can't even like they lived on the outskirts and so they were actually their supermarket was in the next town because that was closer and they lived like right on the border and she was like they can't go to their supermarket because you, they can't cross town lines and I was like wait what yeah. Yeah, you know. we weren't meant to go f- more than five miles away from the house. And um, we were only meant to go out of the house for half an hour a day, in theory. Um, I mean, we live in the countryside. So, you know, I think we, um, the dog got a lot of walking because it was yeah. a good way, good way to get out. We didn't always, or I'd got um, three sort of early 20s and teen children here um and uh, so she yeah she got a lot of exercise we were all trying to get out but yes basically the, the period in which I wrote it we were literally confined to the house and the garden in theory half an hour beyond um if you're lucky a day yeah and and so I so your your lockdown was so extreme um you know compared to what we experienced and like I said even though a lot of people lucky were whining about what we have you know and I was like <laughs> oh my god give me a break at least we could drive you know we could drive an hour away and it was like you know good luck finding a place to go pee if you, you know but that uh, yeah. was a whole other thing <laughs> but you know shops were open and we could you know wow. I, the food shops were open the convenience stores were open the gas stores like we could go places you know, we could have yeah. gone camping, I suppose. Oh, no, we definitely weren't allowed to do that. You know, um, <laughs> it was just a lot of outside stuff. And and yours lasted a very long time, too. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, I've been rereading, rereading this and sort of reminding myself to some extent of it. We had a long first period and then we had a summer where we were sort of allowed out. And then we went back into lockdown for quite a lot of the next winter. Um, yeah. In fact, it's only really this time last year that we were... We were coming back out again um, and cafes and pubs and things were being allowed to open. But even then, only in sort of groups of six and only in the garden and only till 10 o'clock at night. And in Scotland, I think you could go to the pub, but you weren't allowed to have any alcohol, which is like. What's the point? Almost yeah. entirely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> so, or only if you were having a meal or, oh, there was a whole load of ridiculous uh, nonsense. And then in the meantime, as we since find out the government were having parties left right and center which has created some anger yeah yeah justifiably so (laughs) um but yeah so i thank you so much for for sharing this amazing book and oh bless you yeah now where do you hang out online where can people find you um as joe wild um i'm on twitter and facebook as basically joe wild author and i'm on both platforms as Joanna Courtney and as Anna Stewart as well. So um, I have far too many identities, um, but uh, that's just sort of the way it's panned out with the different publishers and things. Um, Yeah, I'm curious, why did you, um, you know, I mean, obviously they're different genres. Is that why you did so many different pen names? Um, Yeah, uh, certainly the Joanna Courtney and the Anna Stewart was was because of that. And then um, this one sort of came in because of copyright and all, all 
uh, the way that it was all panning out. Yeah, Joanna Stewart had gone historical again, so it seemed like a good idea um, to have a different name. But no, there's no no secret about the fact that they're all me. It's just so that readers sort of know what they're getting when they when they right. pick up a novel. Right, right. Um, that's kind of that's that's tricky though, because now you have all like these social media accounts that I you know. need to worry about and populate. <laughs> and I know, I know, I'm telling you, like. <laughs> I know, and I'm not the best at it anyway. Um, so uh, I I enjoy it when I do it, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of novels to write. So, uh, which is what I love doing yeah. best. Yeah, that's what we do. That um, is what and we I, do. I will have um, links to these in the show notes. And um, yeah, Joe. So, Joe, thank you so much for being here. It was so great. Oh, I've to enjoyed meet it. You. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been super fun. And it, and it was steamy too. See, <laughs> not as steamy as some, but uh, maybe in the future, if my husband gets his way. Oh, you're definitely coming back with that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I guess Joe's book falls into the seasoned romance category, but definitely with a unique twist that I don't think we see enough of, and one I think really accurately reflects a lot of the real life situations. What do you think? Sound off by visiting me at steamscenespod.com. And always, I will leave my plea for a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Next time, I have a returning guest. My friend Bethany Bennett returns to the steam seat to talk about her new, not quite Regency romance. Her books are hot, so this is a good one. <laughs>